All the children dismissed for the children's church and toddler's church. The rest of us, let's turn to the book of Ruth, if we would. The book of Ruth. Now, if you missed the Sunday school time, you missed the introduction to this morning's sermon. And uh, Peter is actually filling in for Brother Hiram Davis and Fleshman's preaching up there this week. So I got to do the Sunday school and the morning service. And so we went through the books uh, of Ruth. We just happened to be going through that. And uh, what I want to do during our preaching time this morning, and uh, Brother Dave, if I could ask you, just turn the speed of the fan up up here. It's about 10 degrees warmer up here than it is out there. Thank you. Um, What I want us to do in the book of Ruth this morning is God puts the stories in the Bible for a reason. He wants to teach us something. The greatest way to teach something is to give you a living example, a living illustration. Now, how many of you have ever read Aesop's fables? You know, the rabbit, the tortoise, and the hare, and and all of those silly little... Now, that's a fable. It's a made-up story to illustrate a truth. I mean, it's much better to be sure and faithful and true like the turtle was than to run ahead and sleep and take your time and still lose the race like the rabbit did. But when God does that, he doesn't use fables. He uses real-life stories. He uses real events. Now, we want to be careful because there are many people who look for hidden meanings behind the words of the Scripture. And I want to warn you today, we're not doing that. You see, we're looking for a living illustration of what is clearly written in the New Testament. That's how we keep ourselves out of the uh, realm of uh, uh, what I like to call fantasy land is where people come up with all kinds of crazy and wild ideas. Some people would uh, try to say, well, God is, is a God of love and he's, he's not going to send anybody to hell. He, he'll eventually bring everybody in. But that's not what the book of Ruth teaches. God is a God that loves mankind. But God will only save whosoever will. God does not save everybody, nor does he condemn everybody. I mean, it's amazing all the different things that come up. And the book of Ruth tells us a story of a young woman... She was a Moabitess, and we will take just a moment to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 23, because I want us to get our first point here today, that Ruth was unreachable with the truth by any standard that you would want to measure her life by. Ruth grew up and was... Uh, uh, by heredity, by geography, by people group, part of the Moabites. Now, if you don't know the history or the origin of where the Moabite people came, uh, it's a very sordid, uh, horrible history, their origins with, with the children of Lot. And here we have 
uh, hundreds and hundreds of years later, the Moabites are living in their land just outside across the Jordan River uh, and the north part of what we now call the Dead Sea. And God is, as he's given Moses instruction here in verse 3, it says an Ammonite, that's the other uh, descendant of Lot, or Moabite, shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to their tenth generation, shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Now, that's pretty harsh, is it not? If a Moabitish person said, I want to serve God, I want to worship the God of Israel, they were told, wait ten generations. And then wait ten more. Because you're never going to be part of Israel. And people read these verses and they say, well, uh, you mean God condemned all the Moabites to to eternal damnation and they could never be saved? Uh, How many of you remember the question the disciples asked Jesus when he sent the rich young ruler away? He said, Who then can be saved? And people ask that question and different ideas have been developed. You have the Arminian who says, well, everybody will eventually be saved. You have the Calvinist who said, well, only the ones God chose will be saved. And I I just want to challenge you. Those are men's ideas about the Bible. Don't worry about men's ideas. You have the agnostic who says, see there, God is unjust. Because he only allows the Jewish people to get saved and not the Moabites. Well, I want to make a challenge for you. The book of Ruth is put in there so that you and I can answer the agnostic, so that you and I can answer the questions of those who do not know. But how many times have you said in your life, that person will never get saved. Or that people group over there, or those people living in that country, they're unreachable with the gospel. Or members of a certain religion, we just can't get there with the gospel. They're unreachable. Uh, If you get any kind of missionary literature at all, it talks constantly today about the 1040 window where there's nothing going on. Now that's not true. There are things going on everywhere. It's just we can't see it. And we can't always know. But I I want to challenge you that God is into reaching the unreachable. That's the story of the book of Ruth. Ruth by her heritage. Ruth by her religion. The Moabites worshipped a god named Chemosh. One of the highest and most religious ceremonies that you could partake in was to bring a young child to the temple of Chemosh and sacrifice that child in honor of the god. Every family in Moab was called upon to participate in that heinous act. 
Ruth as a little girl would have watched that happen in her own family and in others. I can't imagine any people being so perverse as to take their own children and murder them and burn them on an altar and call it worship to God. I, I want to tell you that Ruth's background was as bad as it can get. There is a command in the Old Testament law that her people were not to be welcomed into the congregation of Israel forever. And all of a sudden we have a backslidden family in the book of Ruth, Naomi and Elimelech. Things get going tough in the land of Israel and instead of trusting God and turning to God, they join the enemies of God and move to the land of Moab. Ruth sees a handsome young man, apparently. Maybe Mayon or Chilion saw a beautiful young lady. We don't know how it was all worked out. But in the process of time, Ruth was married to one of the sons of Naomi. Naomi's husband died. Ruth's husband died. There was a family that was left of a mother and her two daughters-in-law. And she decides to return to the land of Israel. Now Ruth had to make a choice. Her people, where she grew up, would have welcomed her back. There's no question about that. Her mother-in-law told her, Go back. But Ruth made a choice contrary to all of those. She would leave her people. She would leave her religion. She would leave her way of life. Uh, do you think that Ruth understood that people in the land of Israel, the Jewish people, were going to treat her as a second or third or fourth class citizen? They were going to look down their nose at her. They were going to scorn her. There was going to be whispers behind her back as she would go about her normal business. Let me tell you, Ruth had to know all of those things. And yet she said, I'm going to surrender to the way of the God of the people of Israel no matter what it costs me. And God blessed her. In the end of the book of Ruth, she is brought into the covenant line that will produce not only King David, but physically speaking, Jesus Christ. Now how did Ruth, a Moabitess, who was not allowed to enter the congregation of Israel to the 10th generation forever, become part of the heritage line of King David. Could I challenge you that it's the grace of God? And that Ruth is a picture that you and I can look at today and we can see ourselves 
and we can see the grace of God. You know what? We have a problem with something here. We don't want to look at ourselves as a Moabitess. We do not like the idea, and I don't know how many times I've heard, but I've always been a Christian. Especially outside the United States. I wasn't raised a Muslim. I wasn't raised a Buddhist. I wasn't raised Hindu. I was raised a Christian. But that concept is foreign to the Scriptures. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God told the prophet Isaiah, said, I want you to understand all of our righteousnesses all the good things that we can accomplish are as filthy rags. How many of you have ever found a bundle of filthy rags in the land that time forgot? Stuffed in a corner in the basement or, or in a cabinet somewhere and water leaked in and I mean, you open the cabinet door and all of a sudden your nose told you something was really bad your eyes saw it and you're going, <laughs> Stephen, take care of this. <laughs> it is really disgusting. Stephen goes, why do I get all the dirty jobs? Because Philip isn't old enough yet. <laughs> Listen. When is the last time you took time to look at yourself as Ruth had to look at herself before she made the decision to follow Naomi into the land of Israel. I'm not talking about going to the graveyard of forgiven sins and digging them up. I've heard people give testimonies. Boy, I get angry every time somebody gives one. Well, I was this, and I was a dirty, rotten so-and-so, and I did this, and I did that. And, and boy, you can almost hear it. I had a great time doing it, too. Uh, but Jesus saved me. Hey, if all you can say is Jesus saved you, you don't have much of a testimony. Say, my life is different today. People I used to hate, I now love because Jesus saved me. I used to be under the influence, willingly, of things that were outside my body. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, the pursuit of wealth and power. But Jesus saved me. And now I'm under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. Now that's a testimony, my friend. Don't just add Jesus saved me at the end of it. Tell how Jesus changed your life. Ruth had a long list of things that she could have put there, amen? 
But Ruth made that choice. She had to look at herself and see herself for what she really was. Unreachable. Beyond deserving to get saved. You know, a lot of people believe that they deserve to go to heaven. Let me tell you something. You don't deserve heaven. Because we've all sinned. How many of you have ever thought about how much God hates sin? Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. Following Sunday is Easter. If you ever want to understand how much God hates sin, study the cross. How Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, was mocked, he was spit upon, they blindfolded him and they beat him with their fist and said, if you're really the Christ, tell me who hit you. The Romans put a crown of thorns upon his head. and took a rod that they had. Here's your scepter, king, and then grabbed it out of his hands and beat the crown of thorns into his flesh. You see, they were mocking him because his charge was he was a king. The Roman soldiers didn't know any better. They just knew what the Romans did with other people who claimed to be king. And they treated Jesus accordingly. He was crucified. And even while he was hanging there, the chief priests and the scribes, the religious leaders, the very men in some instances who offered sacrifices in the temple said, God doesn't want him. If God wants him, let God deliver him. You want to know how much God hates sin? Study the crucifixion. Isaiah 53 says it pleased him. It pleased God to watch Jesus suffer. You say, how could God be pleased with that kind of suffering? Very easy, very simple answer. He knew Jesus could take it. And he knew we couldn't. That's what pleased God. Because God was not going to allow one sin to be unpunished. When is the last time you looked at yourself as no hope, as unreachable, as someone who was a total offense to God? Until you get there, you never get saved. Until you're willing to admit that you are a sinner, deserving of God's eternal judgment. 
you're not going to get saved the way the Bible talks about. Could I challenge you that Ruth did all of that and more? Amen. You see, Ruth had to make a willful choice. She had to turn her back on everything she knew and embrace something she had no idea what she was embracing except what she understood through the bitter, rebellious life of Naomi and the prejudicial treatment that she may have received in former in her life from other Jewish people. That's all she would have known. And yet she still chose the God of Israel. Amen? Now, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. Now I want to challenge you that if we will look in the early chapters and and read through the book of Ruth, it is an illustration of God's grace to a person who sorely was undeserving, talking about Ruth. While she lived in the land of Moab, while she grew up in the land of Moab, she'd done nothing. In fact, if to be deserving of God's grace, in fact, if we look at it in God's eyes, marrying a Jewish man, what was she really doing? She was just helping that Jewish man be more disobedient to God, was she not? There was nothing good or right in anything that Ruth did until she made a choice to give it all up and follow God. For by grace... Are you saved through faith? The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly in these last times. Do you think Ruth was convicted of her sin and her inability to save herself? And she made a decision that she was going to the land of Israel no matter what. That's God's grace. But you got to have faith, amen? Now, where do you get faith? That, not, of, yourselves. Faith does not come from you, my friend. Faith comes from the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So how did Ruth illustrate this next point? Well, what did she do when she went back to the land of Israel? She obeyed everything that she was told. She surrendered to the laws and regulations uh, of the Jewish people and their customs, and and uh, she went out to glean in the fields, and and she was living the life of the standard beggar. 
Not a good life, my friend. But at least it was a life. You see, until you're willing to obey God's word about who and what you are and that you're totally undeserving of God's love and God's forgiveness, you don't get it now, do you? Are we together on that one? Ruth understood who and what she was, and she surrendered. That's faith. Faith opens the door to God's blessing. Everything that was passed in Ruth's life. Do you think Ruth would have gotten anywhere if she tried to say, Boy, you don't understand. What God did in my life. Let me tell you all the wicked things I did in the land of Moab before I came here. Do you think that would have engendered love and concern for Ruth? No, it would have driven everybody way away from her. What if Ruth had decided that she wanted to marry Boaz? He's an older man. I'm a younger woman. I will use my wiles and my beauty to woo him. Do you think Boaz would have accepted that? That would have sent him running in the opposite direction. Because women didn't woo men. It was... Marriages were arranged by families and it went through certain processes and all of these things. You didn't just go out and say, I like you. <laughs> Let's go to Starbucks and get a cup of coffee and talk about it. By the way, don't find a husband or wife that way. Let God find them. You see, Ruth had to make a choice. She could have just as easily ended up the wife of the other kinsman in the book of Ruth as she did of Boaz. And she didn't have a choice at who was going to marry her. Ladies, how many are signing up for the part of Ruth now? That would not be a very pleasant thing now, would it? Except for the fact that Ruth was trusting God. And she had already surrendered to his word in every other part of her life. This wasn't a big surrender to her. This would mean that she would become... Jewish in every sense of the word. You see, here's the illustration, here's the application. You have to let God do the saving. It's going to be His way 
not your way. God will give you direction that you need in your life. He will mold and shape your life according to His will. And I, I remember Sarah coming to me years ago and she said, Daddy, will God make me marry somebody ugly? And I can understand that being a great concern. But that was years ago. And there's no prospects in the near future. So, I mean, it's ways down the road yet. But let me tell you something. Brother Franz, does God have a lot better taste than you do? I can't tell you how many preachers immediately after my wife and I were married said, you know something, Brother Pete, you married way above your head. And I said, you know something, preacher, you're absolutely right. But God is good, isn't he? Let me tell you something. God's got a whole lot better taste than you do. He's got a whole lot better wisdom than you do. You get saved by surrendering everything you are to God. By the way, can I just park here for a moment and chase a rabbit, I guess is what we call it. It's not really. It's thoroughly related here. What would have happened to Ruth if she got thinking about all the wicked things that she had done as a young girl in the land of Moab? And said, how could God forgive me for all that stuff? You see, when you accept God's forgiveness, you accept it past, present, and future. God forgives sin. How many sins does it take you to get into hell? Just one. Only one. How many sins can you have and get into heaven? None. You've got to accept God's forgiveness and live your life where God puts you. I mean, that's the story of the book of Ruth, is it not? She had no idea what was going to happen. All of a sudden, her mother-in-law wakes up after, we don't know, 10, 12 years of lethargy and bitterness and says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide a place for you. Now go lay at Boaz's feet and uncover his feet and do what he says. And, and Boaz said, Get out of here. Don't let anybody know that you were here. Take the wheat to your mother and, and I'll talk to you later. Now, I, I just love to look at the events of the story. Could you imagine how confused Ruth must have been at this point? And she goes home and her mother says, Who art thou, my daughter? What happened? He told me to get out of here. He sent me home with some wheat. Oh, that's great. Okay, what's so great about it? It's going to be done today. What? You're going to get married. To who? We don't know yet. I mean, that's what was going on in the life of Ruth. 
Could you imagine how happy she must have been when Boaz walked through the door? Not because they had time to develop this great loving relationship. They did that after they were married. But he was the only guy who had showed any care or concern for her during the harvest. So at least she knew there was somebody out there that cared for her. Amen? How many of you have experienced the care and concern of another believer in Christ at some time in your life? Amen? That happens after you get saved. After you surrender. As you're obedient to the word of God. See, that's what the book of Ruth is all about. When I talk to people about their soul, first thing is, well, pastor, I have my own religion. Well, Ruth had hers, did she not? And, and by the way, is what goes on in this country any worse than what went on in Moab? We don't have Chemosh. We have abortion clinics. And people are offering their unborn children on the altar of pleasure and gain and pursuit. They call it pursuit of happiness, but there's nothing happy about it, let me tell you. It's a surrender to this book called the Bible. How many of you knew everything that the Bible said when you got saved? Not possible. Do you think Ruth knew all the regulations in the few months she had lived with Naomi? I mean, you read your Bible, there are... Uh, they tell us 613 laws in the Old Testament. Guess how many of them Ruth had to obey as Boaz's wife? All 613? And then all the cultural things on top of it? I mean, you talk about a regulated life. Let me tell you, this Bible will regulate your life. But it's a good thing. I remember dealing with a person many years ago and said, Pastor, the way is too narrow. I can't do it. He said, good. What do you mean good? That's the first step to getting saved. Is realizing you can't live the life the Bible talks about. Amen? And we're going over this couple of times this morning, but I want us to get the story of Ruth. Ruth was unreachable. The faith that Ruth had wasn't hers. It wasn't even a good faith, really, other than she knew enough about the God of Israel. She said, I want him. That's how you get saved. But then Ruth opened up a whole door, a whole new world to her. And guess what it was? It was surrender 
over and over again. Oh, you mean I got to dress like everybody else and wear that uh, band of blue about the hem of my, all of my garments? But it doesn't match. It doesn't matter. That's what the Bible says. You mean we've all got to go to wherever the tabernacle is and offer our sacrifices and spend a week sitting in booths? Well, yeah, that's, that's what uh, the Feast of Tabernacles is all about, living in tent for a week. And it's not vacation, my friend. It's contemplation and worship of God. You mean we got to give? Yes. You mean we've got to do this? You mean I can't even make certain kinds of food? Yes. Everything about your life. The Bible tells you what to do. But see, if you surrender to God for salvation... Is it really that big of a deal to surrender to God about baptism? If God's forgiven your sins, why are you still carrying them around? If a God is willing to forgive others their sins, why are you still carrying a grudge against another human being? If you've got God's forgiveness, it applies. Amen? Do you think other people are going to speak highly of you because you give your life to Jesus Christ? Uh, no. But if you'll surrender to Christ, that means you surrender to be mocked by others who hate Christ. Not a big deal. Amen? Well, what about showing up for church? Well, you're here today, amen? But the Bible says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. God doesn't accept occasional attendance. He wants you here. Because you're supposed to be a part of what's going on. If you surrender to God's word, does that mean you can listen to dirty stories in the break room on Monday at work? No. Does that mean you can watch whatever you want on TV as long as you pray a prayer? Dear God, forgive me for all that filth on the way to church on Sunday morning. You see, when Ruth surrendered to the word of God, what did she do? It changed everything she did in the way she lived now, didn't it? Now, let me ask you a question. How much better off was Ruth in chapter 4 than she was in chapter 1. Is there any comparison at all? Oh, she may have been happy and go lucky and carefree in chapter 1, had no idea that she was going to end up in hell forever. But by chapter 4, she understood all of those things and what obedience to God was. And she knew she was in the line of God's blessing. Now, where would you rather be? You get saved when you surrender yourself 
to God's Word. Now, why can't everybody just do that? Because of what's going on here in your heart and what's going on here in your head. Sometimes you've got to fight through that. Let God peel off those layers of deception and self-deception. I'll tell you, at the men's meeting, I heard one of the greatest messages I've ever heard on self-deception. Don't worry, you're going to get it. As the Lord leads. But Ruth was not deceived about herself. She knew who and what she was. She was willing to be scorned. She was willing to be looked down upon and treated poorly because she wanted the God of Israel. Now God had said in his law, not until the 10th generation. But you see, there was also another law that said the widow of the Israelite was to be brought into the family and raised up a seed to the name of the dead. And so God allowed his law not to be broken, but to be fulfilled. And that brought Ruth in because Ruth was the wife of Chilion or Malon. I, I don't remember which one. I don't believe the Bible actually tells us that. But the faith is not ours. The way is not ours. But the blessings we get to enjoy because they come from God. And even old Naomi looked down into the face of that little grandbaby and said, God has restored to me everything I lost because of my disobedience. Tell you what, you cannot improve on the scriptures. Ruth's life was real. A human being. And guess what? You can walk in Ruth's footsteps if you would. By understanding that you cannot save yourself. That you have nothing in you that is worthy of God's grace. Except that God is very gracious and he gives it to all. You can choose to turn your back on your people, on your religion, on your way of life, on your understanding of things, on your abilities or disabilities, on your sins, past, present, and future, and lay yourself at the foot of the cross. For whosoever will. Title of this morning's message is, if, not, if Ruth, why not you? God would save Ruth, why won't he save you? Well, the answer is only one. It's because you refuse his grace.
But if you accept God's grace, he's going to change you. You have to let him carry the load of sin. Amen? You have to let him teach you how to live. And by the way, Ruth did not go get the scrolls from the local synagogue and figure this whole thing out on her own. She would not have been allowed to touch those things. But she had her mother-in-law to teach her. Later she would have Boaz to teach her all that she needed to know. Uh, does that sound almost like a church to you? It does to me. That's where we learn. And you know what? There'll be some times that we'll disagree with one another, but we agree on this book. And that's how we serve the Lord together. And all God's people said, Let's pray.